1 John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Brother or sister in Christ, do you see the change that God's love has brought about in your life? Do you realise tonight who you are? Do you realise how different you are from the person you were before God's love came and lavished itself upon you? You are a child of God. Let me ask you, do you think much about that? You should because it is breathtaking. John writes this letter to assure you as a Christian of who you are and of how utterly transformed you are, completely through and through changed. He says in chapter 5 of this little letter, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, do you see the difference his love has made in you? You are never going to die. You're never going to die. You have passed from death to life forever. You're done with death. It lies shattered before you, broken, destroyed, the Bible says. Do you realise who you are? You are never going to die. And more than that, the Bible says that you are never going to be condemned. Judgment is behind you in the same way that death is behind you. Do you know who you are? You are a deathless, guiltless, fearless child of God. You have a new heart, a new king, a new joy and you are free. Free from sin, free from Satan, free to live normal life in anything but a normal way. Free to work and to rest and to play and to love and to buy and to sell and whatever else your life may involve. Weep, laugh, confident, utterly confident that you are a completely transformed human being who will never die, never be judged and has nothing to fear forever. How great is the love the Father has lavished on you that we should be called the children of God and that is who we are. How great a love, what kind of love? Well, you know what kind. What lavish love it took to bring about that sort of transformation. Our our passage in verse 5 tells us it's a love that saw him, the Lord Jesus, appear to take away your sin. He who had no sin came to you who was rent through with the stuff and he takes it away on his body on that tree. He who had life and acceptance and approval before his Father in heaven comes to you who had nothing but death and judgment. And he comes, verse 8 tells us, to destroy death, to destroy the works of the devil in our life. How great a love. Brothers and sisters, the spiritual realities that shape your life are breathtaking. You are a deathless, guiltless, fearless child of God. Let's stop there, hey, and we'll sing our last song and go home. (laughs) But if we did, we would replicate the mistake that we can so easily make as God's children. We are a church family who loves these realities that we've just been thinking of. We love speaking of them, we love singing of them and celebrating them together. We love delighting in them and Christchurch Enclave will be doing that four o'clock next Sunday just down the road. We love the scriptures that speak of them. 
especially when we gather like this, to hear once more of this lavish love, of the extraordinary transformation in our lives. But our problem is this. These realities, as huge as they are, they remain up there. They're disconnected. They're way off, seemingly in another galaxy from our dull, everyday lives. I was thinking about that this week and I remember I had a friend, Greg, who had this giant telescope. He was into watching the stars and he took me out once an hour or so out of Sydney where it's nice and dark and there's no lights to interfere and he showed me this spectacular scene. And it was amazing. I was captivated by it for the hour or so that we were there. But then you sort of drive back into the city of Sydney and all the lights take over and very soon all that seems very distant, far from the normal life. I reckon that's what we so easily do as God's children with the spiritual realities that shape who we are. They never touch down to earth. And so it's easy in our lives to have a complete disconnection between who we are as a child of God and how we live as a physical man or woman or student or mother or lover or consumer or whatever we may be. We just don't join the dots between the spiritual and the physical The Bible tells you you're a new creation but your normal life feels same old, same old really. What the Bible's going to tell us over these next few weeks is that is wrong thinking. It's going to reveal to us that these realities that that we love, that we cherish, that we celebrate are, are not told to us by God for our information or even just for our entertainment or just to wow us. They're meant to change us. They're meant to transform our day to day. They're meant to transform Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and all the details of our week. When God speaks to us these realities through his word, it's meant to do what Zechariah 5 says, that his word is like a scroll that flies into your home and it blows it apart, changes it forever. I guess my prayer for us uh, over September uh, is that uh, we will allow God's word to do that again. Uh, Throughout September, both in the mornings and the evenings, we are seeking to remind one another that this word that we cherish, this word that we honour, that tells us who we are, is meant to transform our physical lives, our fleshy lives, the nitty-gritty. And so in the evenings, uh, we're going to look at a few sections of 1 John because the Apostle Paul wrote this letter because this problem that we have of disconnecting spiritual and physical is as old as the church itself. John says uh, in his letter, in the case of those he wrote to, this wrong thinking actually came from an even deeper disconnection. You see, a way of thinking had come into the the churches that uh, John writes this letter to that said Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, had never really been a man, never had a body, never never been uh, real like you and I are real, never physical. You can see that in 1 John 4 verse 2, that he'd never come in the flesh. God doesn't have a body. The the spiritual life and the physical life are separate things. They're meant to be separate. And so it had become this huge issue in the early church. Spiritual equals good, physical equals well, blah. And what it led to is the thinking that we can so easily fall into ourselves that you can be a Christian, you can know what we know, you can learn the things that we learn but have that knowledge never show up in your life, never touch down to earth. And so there'd become this reluctance or perhaps an inability to have these cosmic spiritual realities come down. 
Do you see what John says in verse 7 of our passage, chapter 3, verse 7? He says, don't be led astray. Don't be fooled by that sort of thinking. He who does what is right is righteous. The being a Christian and the doing of a Christian life cannot be separated. And so as John deals with this wrong thinking, he's going to help us to reconnect the spiritual realities of our life with our normal everyday existence. He's going to show us that as we approach God's word, what it's doing to us is seeking to transform us, not just inform us. So what does someone do who, who knows who they are? What is a child of God meant to do? How are we meant to live? Well, have a look at 1 John 3, 3 and you'll see what our job is. What should everyone who has a hope as big as we do, of no death, of no condemnation, of no fear, how should they live? Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Your life as a Christian is all about change. Change from impurity to purity. Total change. Your life uh, every day, every time you hear God's word is a building site. God is uh, building you, changing you, making you more and more, you see in verse 2, like his son. So that when he appears, when he returns, you'll be like him. You are a child of God. And so God says your life now is all about transformation so that you will look like his son. So that more and more you are, your transformed spiritual status from rebel to child will start to show itself in your fleshly life. So what are you about when you come through these doors of a Sunday night? What's your role? As you meet with your small group or as you, you gather here? Or as you open the scriptures bleary-eyed first thing in the morning? Or as you gather for the first time at Encliffe next Sunday at four? What's your job? Well, it's not passive. You're not an observer. You're in the game. You gather here to sit under God's word with a very clear job to do, to work on your holiness. You come with a pursuit and it is purity. I reckon all too often when we walk through these doors we can forget why we even came. It's a bit like turning up to work tomorrow if you're a doctor and you walk through the doors and you start to wander around the wards and there's all this action, all sorts of things happening, uh, beds and, 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 and medicines and, and people moving and all sorts of things happening and uh, everyone's sort of looking at, for you to do something and you're sort of stunned into inaction. You're sort of just watching and going, wow, this is interesting. Everyone's waiting for you to do something but you've forgotten who you are even though there's a giant badge on you saying doctor. And you end up going home at the end of the day and you think, well, that was good, I might turn up again tomorrow. (laughs) I reckon we can do the same thing on a Sunday. That was good. Or actually, I like last week a bit better. We had a pool last week. (laughs) It's so easy to forget that you came with a job to do. The one who has a hope like yours is to be focused on the task set before you. Purity. And have a look again at verse 3. It's a task in the present tense and continuous. This is your 24-7 job. It's meant to follow you into the week. It's meant to follow you into work, into your home, into your social gatherings, everywhere. 
And anyone who downs tools on this job has done so because they've forgotten who they are. And so how will you know if you're on task as a Christian, if if when you approach God's word you're seeking transformation, not just information? Well, we're going to see a number of ways that we would know that over over the next few weeks. But tonight John will tell us the way you can know it is the way you deal with sin. And really for the rest of tonight, what he's going to do is he's going to answer two crucial questions for us. And the first one is this. What would it mean if you had a hope as big as you do as a Christian and you continued to sin? What would it mean if you had a hope this big and you kept sinning? I reckon as we answer this question, we need to be clear first of all what we mean by continuing to sin because John mentions a number of times in our passage, you see it there in verse 9, And then again in verse 6 he says to keep on sinning. Let me say first of all, it doesn't mean just anyone who sins. Being a child of God doesn't mean that you never sin. In fact, earlier in the letter he'll say if we claim to be without sin, we're kidding ourselves. To say that there's no sin in your life is a massive deception. If you hear sermon after sermon and you never see sin in your own life, if God's word never convicts you, It doesn't mean that when it it comes to your task of purity that you finish the job, that that you just finished before the rest of us. It means you're not listening or you're just kidding yourself. Ever known that feeling when when all the facts seem to be pointing in one way but but you're you're just blind to it? I felt a bit that way a a couple of weeks ago, Sunday afternoon, two weeks ago, the uh, final day of the last Ashes test. I was uh, sitting in our kitchen, I was cleaning up, I was listening to the radio as uh, wicket after wicket is falling and uh, we're getting closer and closer to imminent disaster but I kept saying to myself, no, it'll be fine. We always manage to pull these things off, we'll we'll be fine. And so I got down to about five wickets down and I thought, well, I'll just turn it off for a little while and I'm sure it'll right itself next time I check. So I turned it off for an hour, went about my business and uh, came back and it was all over. I reckon we do that with sin far too easily. We can kid ourselves that there is none of it in our lives or at least nothing that serious. The Christian life, the Bible says in 1 John, is one where sin is always present. It's why we confess so often as a church family, week in, week out. It's why we need to be honest about sin with each other. It's why we rejoice so often in the cross because we know we're always in need of fresh forgiveness. But here is where you see what John is speaking about when he talks of continuing to sin. True repentance of sin equals stopping sin. It's quite simple really, isn't it? It's what parents tell their children. Sorry means you won't do it again. We teach children that but we adults forget far too easily. What John is telling us here is if you are someone who is being transformed by God's word, you you cannot be people who hear that word, hear its challenge, hear its call for change and nothing. It's a bit like uh, Finn has a a great habit of uh, bouncing on our couches. He's pretty sure that they actually are a trampoline, not, not couches. And so he does this quite regularly and I have to keep saying to him, Finn, don't jump on the couches. They're not for, they're not for jumping on. He says, okay, sorry, Dad. Hour or so later, I hear from the lounge room, boing, boing. <laughs> That's what John is talking about here. To keep on sinning is to persistently continue in a pattern of sin despite hearing your Father in heaven's voice saying, stop. 
You hear God say to you, you can't serve God and money and you think, good tip God, sound advice. I see where you're coming from with that and I'll take that advice on board. I'll put it in the mix of my decision making and it's on my list of things to do and sometime I'll get around to it. Or you hear God say, when a man looks at a woman lustfully, he is guilty of adultery and you think, yeah, sorry God, I blew it again. And then like Finn, boing, 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 off you go again. Or you hear God say, do not covet what another has. And you say, yeah, well, that's all well and good, but you don't understand what it's like to be a single over summer. The marriage, the families have it all. I'm sick of missing out. Continued, deep-rooted sin is a massive problem. And it's not nearly as rare as it should be amongst those who have a hope like ours. I remember chatting with a guy... uh, last year, who uh, in many ways is just fully sold out when it comes uh, to the gospel. Involved in so many things, but when it comes to generosity of his time or of his money, no. I know of uh, youth whose uh, great habit is uh, getting drunk on the weekend, although they would call themselves a child of God, and then celebrating it on Facebook. And when it comes to sins like pride... Those who persist with pride, well, we are legion, aren't we? 1 John 1.8 says, He who thinks he has no sin deceives himself. We've all got it, all the time. But where things get deadly is where we keep on going. What does it mean if you do? Well, John says it means three things. It tells you three things about yourself that we perhaps don't want to hear. The first one you see in verse 4, it says, If you keep on sinning, As a child of God, it means this. Everyone who sins breaks the law. It means you're a lawbreaker. By which uh, John means God's law, his word to us. A word, if you heard the, the psalm read earlier, is a word that we're meant to love, that we're meant to delight in, like choice food, because it leads to life. To continue to sin is to say to God, I don't love your law. In fact, I hate it. Maybe not all of it, but the part that's drawn a circle around my life and and told me how to live, that's shown me a path and told me which way to walk and I don't want to go there. To continue to sin is uh, is to refuse to obey God. It might be uh, in the sin of coveting. It might be your refusal to forgive a brother despite being told again and again by God that's what you need to do. To keep on sinning in even one area of our life is declaring independence from God. It's treating God as your enemy. It's saying, I do not want your law. Here's the first thing it says. It says you are lawless. second one is even harder to take. Have a look at verse 6. It says, if you continue to sin, it means you don't know Jesus. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. When you become a Christian, a child of God, by faith you enter life with Jesus. His spirit comes in and it takes up residency in your life and he fills your heart with the hope that we've been talking about tonight. 2 Corinthians 4 puts it a bit like this. It's like the spirit walks into your life like a room with all sorts of closed blinds on it and he pulls them up one by one. God says to your life, let there be light in this life. 
To continue to sin is to walk back around that room and to pull the blinds back down, to refuse to let the light in because it's going to expose your sin. It's going to expose your heart or your thoughts or your deeds. To keep sinning is to say to Jesus, I don't know you. And the devastating result of that is having him say of you when he appears, I never knew you. Continue to sin means you are lawless. It means you don't know Jesus and perhaps worst of all, verse 8, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. Sounds serious, doesn't it? A bit overstated, but that's, that's a sort of a, a reference uh, left for the worst of the worst, to be of the devil. But John says, wake up. If you're sinning, then you are just like the devil who from the very beginning has rejected God and his word as you are doing. John says that if you live life with persistent, unrepented sin, it will yield the same fruit the devil produces. Not life, but death. Not love, but hate. Not others, but self. Persistently coveting in life is of the devil because it doesn't lead to joy, it leads to misery and resentment and idolatry. Persistent gossiping is of the devil because it destroys trust and alienates you and often assassinates the other person. Persistent unforgiveness is of the devil because it destroys relationships. And as George Herbert once said, he who can't forgive breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. So there's the first question. What would it mean if you were a child of God and you continued to sin? What are the opposite questions? What would it mean if you had a hope like this and you lived that hope? What would it look like if the spiritual reality of who you are as a child of God did show up in your flesh? How would you deal with sin then? Well, it's obvious really, isn't it? But it needs to be said. You'd stop sinning. Verse 9 again. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. How do you deal with sin as a child of God? You stop it. You don't persist with an attitude of unconcern over sin, calling it your little weakness, your quirk. We'd realise that God grieves over our sin. We'd realise the damage we are doing to our image as his child. And we'd set about purifying ourselves. And at this point, it's worth realising the wonderful power that God has given you to fight against sin. Have a look again at verse 9. John says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. You see what God has done to help you combat sin, help you to deal with sin? He has put in you his seed, his spirit. The spirit of God is in you and he is on task as a Christian. And so be encouraged in your battle with sin. God's seed is in you. The the same spirit who uh, created the world the same spirit who, who spoke into your heart when you first became a Christian, the same spirit who rose Christ himself from the dead, that power is in you to fight sin. His spirit is stronger than your sin. His spirit is stronger than your stubborn, unrepentant heart. And he will open your ears to God's transforming word and he'll help you not just to hear it, but to do what it says. As we close, let me say this. 
There'll be some here tonight that when it comes to dealing with sin, you are totally adrift, floating really, almost unconscious of sin in your life or at least pretty casual about it. You've not thought seriously about change, real change in your life for some time. You're, You're just you. You hear sermon after sermon and no change. You've plateaued. You're indifferent regarding holiness. You you don't fight sin anymore. You don't pursue purity. You have no plan. Or if you do it, it's no big deal when that plan is thwarted. You've downed tools asleep, really. I remember uh, when I was uh, in my early 20s, uh, in uh, Sydney, I'd gone off to uh, visit a, a youth camp that Liz, my wife, was leading on and I'd, I'd gone there just to, to see them for the, uh, the afternoon and the evening and I'd left quite late, uh, about midnight, and uh, been told, oh no, don't leave, stay overnight, it's too late. But I thought, I'll be right, I'll be fine. It was a couple of hours drive back into Sydney and I'm driving along the motorway. I don't know whether they have these uh, in, uh, in the UK, but on the side of the motorways in uh, New South Wales they have these bumpy bits of white stuff so that people like me, when you fall asleep driving along, it sort of jolts you. I've got to tell you, it was a shock of my life. There, there I am drifting off to sleep at one in the morning and all of a sudden there's this gentle bumping sensation. Let me say that might be you tonight when it comes to sin. When the child of God who has a hope like yours experiences this drifting feeling, sleepy feeling, when it comes to sin, and we all do from time to time, then you need to hear a word like 1 John 3, 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin and you won't brush it off anymore, you, you won't file it away on a list of things to do later. God's seed is in you. He'll take that word and he'll wake you up, he'll shake you if he has to and he'll remind you that you are done with sin and that you are in great danger and he will show you where to run He will show you again, as 1 John 2, 1 puts it, your advocate, Jesus himself, and you run to him for forgiveness, for a clean start, for a renewed hatred of sin and for a longing to be like him. But as we close, there will be others here tonight that when it comes to dealing with sin, you are swamped. And not with indifference, but with despair and discouragement. You look at your life and you wonder how any sort of level of godliness that you could manage to achieve would be good enough to to show that you really are a child of God. Your efforts seem pretty pathetic really and your conscience keeps condemning you. You battle sin but it seems like one step forward, two steps back all the time. And even your best moments are mixed with, with mixed motives. You'll never be able to claim 1 John 3 verse 7 as your own. I do righteous. When someone who has a hope like yours feels this despair, God's spirit will again take you to the word and he will speak tenderly to you. 1 John 2 verse 1, he'll say, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. What God's Spirit will do for you is he will take your eyes off your pitiful efforts and he will fix them on your advocate who is forever pleading your case, who speaks up for you before his Father who is also your Father 
and he is righteous enough for the both of you. God's word will say to you, as it says to me, you are free, free from sin, free to live for him, free to be about purity again, to walk in the good works that God has prepared for you. And so before we sing, let me ask you this. If someone was to ask you, are you a Christian? What are you going to say to them? What, what evidence will you cite for your Christian life? Is your Christian story, your testimony, one of a childhood prayer? Or perhaps a, a great moment where you walk down the steps of Bramall Lane at a Billy Graham convention? Or the last night of a CE course when you prayed that prayer? Well, I hope there's a moment like that. But what of now? Does your answer of your Christian life have much to say of the recent years or months or days for you as God's child? If the Apostle John was to ask you that question, he'd be thrilled about your conversion. But then he'd say, tell me about your sin. Are you still sinning? Tell me not just about the power of God's word to change you back then. What's he doing now? When was the last time God called on you to change? How'd you go? Did you deal with the sin that he exposed? When was the last time God's word stopped you in your tracks and brought an end to an unhealthy behaviour or restored a broken relationship or opened up new ways for you to serve him? We should all have stories of wonderful victories over sin in the present, not just back in the glory days. And so this month, September, as we head out on a new year as a church family, is all about resetting ourselves the task of purity. Resetting ourselves the task of allowing God's word not just to inform us or entertain us, but to change us through and through. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know who you are? You are a deathless, guiltless, fearless child of God. And everyone who has a hope in them like that purifies themselves as he is pure. Let's pray.